0: Welcome to the Family Church Sermon Podcast. Join us each week as we look to the Bible to seek out what it means to love God passionately and love people personally. For more information about our weekly gatherings and how you can be part of our outreach, visit jointhefamily.church. And uh, isn't it good? Isn't it good? Uh, it's, a, it's a... Yeah. yeah. Praise, praise God that He provided a space in some ways, we, we hate being uh, not in our home building, but in other ways, it's good. I mean, there's some good things. We don't have to climb stairs for a little while. Uh, we can, uh, when our kids run out of service, Laura can easily chase them down because there's not far to go. Um, and so uh, we are just incredibly grateful for God providing this space. And we believe that God has a plan here in this space. Uh, what it might tell, what, is there 17,000? 17,000 people within one square mile of this place. 17,000 people. And if you didn't know it, drive around north of I-10. We have a few churches. We have Metairie Baptist. We have um, Fellowship Bible. There's uh, Memorial Baptist, um, Metairie Church. There's a few Protestant churches, but for close to 250,000 people, there aren't a whole lot of evangelical works around here. And so we believe that God, even though he's moving us out of our Kenner space to get that ready uh, for a new season, we believe that God has a plan here right now in this season. And we believe that the best is yet to come. I'm excited, Isaac uh bloom gave me a note uh on the way in this morning and uh he wrote it is awesome it says pastor dean and he wrote on this note he said dear pastor dean i love when you talk about god's word and how he raised jesus from the dead i pray for you love isaac i it's a it's a blessing You take that, babe. It's a blessing to have our kids in here today. Today is a special Sunday. We're getting acclimated to the new building. So we are having family-style worship. It might get a little loud, and that's okay. Jesus said, let the little children come to me, right? Um, And so, but next week, we will have our activities for our kids. So, so excited about that. After the sermon today, if you want to look in the multi-purpose space behind me, and look, and we have some kids' rooms off to the side. If you wanna check those out, check out the space. We won't have it all quite put together yet, but we'll have an amazing, amazing activities for your families next Sunday, and we are excited about that. John chapter 19, 28 through 30, today's Easter sermon is entitled, The Wine. After this, when Jesus knew that everything was now finished, and that the scripture may, might be fulfilled, he said, I'm thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was still sitting there. So they fixed the sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it up to his mouth. And when Jesus received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. Then bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. We look back at Good Friday. Why is it so good? Because Jesus gave his life for us. And we celebrate this Easter Sunday because the cross wasn't the end. The cross wasn't the end. The cross won the victory. And today we know that there's an empty tomb. And we worship that our King of Kings is resurrected. Our King of Kings is ascended to the right hand of the Father. And our King of Kings is coming back soon for his church. Our big idea is this simply, it is finished, it is done. It is finished, it is done. Whatever, whatever's going on in life, whatever trials may come your way, we look to the cross of Christ and to the empty tomb and we remember that it's finished and it is done. Christ came and he fulfilled every word of the father. He came in human flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word was the way, the truth and the life. No one would come to the father, but by him. Jesus is the gift. Jesus is why we're here. Jesus is why we gather. What we first see is this, the old has passed away. The old has passed away, the old is gone. Sometimes we look back and we say, I wish, I wish, I wish. Well, in Christ, we no longer have to wish that things would be the way they used to be. We get to look forward to all that he's done and all that he promises to us as his church and as his people. You are no longer a sinner in Christ you are no longer a racist. You are no longer an idolater. You are no longer a, a, an adulterer. You are no longer any of those things in Christ, you are his. You're his and you're welcomed to the family. He cried out on the cross, I'm thirsty. Part of this is because this is one of Jesus' sayings from the cross. He he's crying out a feeling that he is already feeling. He is he is close to death at this point he is crying out in anguish longing for something more but what we see is something symbolic here we see that he cries out for thirst and the answer for the thirst is to grab a sponge and take a twig or a branch and attach it to that and try to get it up to the mouth of the king of kings. If you look up a hyssop branch uh, on Google or anything, or if you look it up in a, people use dictionaries anymore? I don't think so. You look it up on dictionary online, you know, but if you looked up a hyssop branch, you would see it's a pretty flimsy flower. And you're thinking, okay, well, how in the world did they put the sponge all the way up? Well, the truth is I know our modern depictions have Jesus way up on a cross. More than likely, he probably wasn't that far off the ground. In fact, to crucify someone, there's simply their feet had to be elevated above ground level. A lot of crosses were very short. They're about my height to y'all. And it was so that people could see so that people could see the suffering and the anguish and the, and the need and the crying out. And, and the Roman emperor was sending a message of power. The Roman emperor was saying, by killing these people, don't come across what we're doing or else you will suffer the same fate. But Christ turned the cross on its head, right? A symbol of defeat turned into a symbol of victory. You see, the world can only offer sour wine. The world can only offer sour wine, but Christ, through the cross of of, of victory, offers us new wine. And so we see this sour wine is translated sour is a vinegar. It's a sour vinegar. Anybody ever tasted vinegar before? Yeah, it's, it's not tasty. It's not tasty. This wasn't like the wine that you enjoy at a nice meal. No, this was nasty, stank, smelly, poorly tasting, sour wine vinegar that they placed in the mouth of the king of kings and Lord of Lords, shoved it in his face. And in this act, in the rejecting of this sour wine, we see that Christ reminds us the old is gone. The old is passed away. Nothing that the world can offer for our thirst can satisfy. Furthermore, Let us not read into the story that they had compassion on the one they were crucifying. You might say, well, hey, he was thirsty and they were trying to offer him some wine. They were quite doing the opposite. If you study Greco-Roman society in this time, spongia, which is like a a sponge, like y'all know we have sponges that we buy in stores, but this is probably a sponge either found in one of the local seas, maybe the Sea of Galilee, maybe in the Mediterranean, one of the local lakes. They had grabbed a sponge, and these sponges were most often used, history tells us, during the Roman Empire. These sponges were used to clean toilets. In fact, they would take a long branch and Y'all know toilets were public back then, you know? There was no decency, you know? <laughs> they, they were public back then, and you would use the toilet, and you, you would take the sponge, and you would clean yourself, and then you would clean the toilet. So likely, they're finding a dirty sponge. The text doesn't say that, but we can, studying history, think about it and say, this probably wasn't the clean sponge that we bought at Bed Bath & Beyond. This was something dirty and filthy, And they soaked it in this sour wine. And they shoved it into the face of the king. How often do we do the same in our lives? The Bible says that our righteousness is like filthy rags. We take the dirty things and we're like, God, this is what you deserve. This is what you're worthy of. But here's the good news of the gospel. There's nothing that we can give God, not even a sour wine or a sponge or filthy rags. None of that can can do what he did on the cross for us. You see, when he cried out, it is finished, what that meant was that you didn't have to accomplish anything. Ah. And that brings us to our second point, which is this. The old has passed away, but the new has come. The new is here. Maybe you're in a a season of transition in your life. Us as a church, we're in a new location this Sunday. You know what, sometimes new things are scary, but in Christ, we know that he's there with us in the fear. He's there with us in the dread. He has tasted the, the, the most hurt that any human could possibly take on the cross, and he took it for you and me so that we wouldn't have to bear that death but that we would have new life for him. It doesn't mean that things aren't gonna be easy. We're called to take up our cross and follow him. But it does mean that when things are hard, he's there. And he's already won the war. He cries out in verse 30, Telestai, you know, it is finished. And this doesn't just mean the end of something. This means the accomplishing of an act he had finished all all that God the Father had told him to do. And what did he tell his disciples? He said, I'm going, and it's to my benefit that I go because the helper is coming, and he will guide you into all truth. The Bible says, if we who are evil know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will the Father give the Spirit, his very presence to those who ask? This shout of victory echoed Psalm chapter 22. If you follow me on on Facebook, I didn't put it on the screen because we'd be here way too long if I read the whole thing. But if you follow me on social media, I posted a snippet of that yesterday. And Psalm 22 is an incredible, incredible likely prophetic look at what Christ was gonna suffer on the cross. This tormented individual, this tormented follower of Yahweh, cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He goes on to say that his, his mouth is dry and his tongue sticks to his jaw and that people gloat over his suffering and they cast lots for his clothing. Does that sound familiar? But then he says, before him all shall bow, even those who go down to the dust, even the ones who cannot keep themselves alive. And it shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation, the generations that are here today, they shall come and proclaim his righteousness to those yet unborn that he has done it. It's finished, it's done. This is reverberated down through all of Christian and human history. Christ took the sin that we deserve, fancy theological term called the substitutionary atonement. He atoned, he made right for our sins. God made him who knew no sin to be sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. Bowing his head, he gave up his spirit after crying out, it is finished. This is a reminder to us that even in a moment where all hope seemed gone, even in a moment where all seemed hopeless, even in a moment where the earthquake and the dark overcame the people, he gave up his spirit. Nobody took it from him. He gave it up. Christ was and is still to this moment and every moment to come in control. He's in control. He fulfilled the will of his Father. But the cross, like we said, is not the end of the story. Pastor Mike talked about this here at the beginning. Let's look at John 20, verse one. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. And while it was still dark, dark, what? What happened? She saw the stone. And what was the stone? What, what, where was the stone? It was rolled away. It was rolled away because nothing could contain our king. When he said he would rise again, when he said he would come again, all of it's true. He's he's not in his grave, he is no longer there. And we see that the, the grave is open. They looked in and they saw that nobody was there. The garments were there. And the angels appeared and Jesus himself appears to Mary and he tells her in verse 17 of chapter 20, he says, don't cling to me. This seems crazy, right? You see Jesus and you wanna hug him, right? i thought you were gone i I want you here no he says don't cling to me jesus told her since i haven't yet ascended to the father he was still fulfilling his father's will but go to my brothers and tell them that i am ascending to my father and your father to my god and your god verses 21 and 22 he encounters the apostles and jesus said to them peace be with you as the father has sent me i send you after saying this he breathed again on them really kind of as a foretaste i'm adding this commentary as a foretaste of pentecost and he says receive the holy spirit this is who i am and in 10 days If y'all didn't know, Jesus appeared for 40 days after his death. He ascended to the right hand of the Father. And then 10 days later, Pentecost, Pente is 50. That's why it's called Pentecost. 10 days later, the Spirit came. Think about that waiting. Think about that 10 days of waiting for God's promises to come to pass. When he tells us, peace be with you. That's a promise that he's here. He's here in our midst. He's here. And you know what? We get to feast on who he is. At the very end today, if uh, communion looks a little different because we have it set up different today. In the back, in the back two corners, you'll see the elements of communion. We're going to take the Lord's table here at the end of our gathering today. If you are a believer, we invite you to the Lord's table, and we will remember that after our time of response. But when we do that, we remember his body and his blood that was poured out and broken for us, and we remember it through wine and bread. And that wine and that bread represents new life. Ah. See, the, the, the world can only give us sour wine, but the Lord gives us life through his new wine. Yes. The world can only give us stale bread right. Right. or nasty sponge, ah. but what does he do? He gives us the best. He gives us the best that we get to feast. Yes. Kenneth Gangle writes Just as the wedding, think about this. One of the first sermons we preached in the book of John was the miracle of the water turning into wine at Cana. And Kenneth Gangle points out, just at the wedding at Cana, ran out of wine. Humankind had run out of fellowship with God in the Garden of Eden, and when sin entered the world, the celebration ceased, but Jesus came to restore our reason to celebrate. You should get excited about that. If you're excited that the pelicans are playing tonight, how more so should you be excited about Jesus, right? It's finished, it is done. Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 25, six through 10, talking about the end of times, about the marriage supper of the lamb that we all look forward to. He says, on this mountain, Zion, on this mountain, the Lord of armies will prepare for all peoples a feast of choice meat, a feast of not just sour wine, what? A feast of aged wine. The best of the best. I don't like wine, so somehow, miraculously, it's gonna become Dr. Pepper. It's gonna be great, you know? But it's gonna be the best. A feast with aged wine, prime choice of of the finest meat, fine vintage wine. On this mountain, he will swallow up the burial shroud, the shroud over all the peoples, the sheet covering all the nations. And And when that has been swallowed up, death once and for all, the Lord God will wipe away tears from every face. And he will remove his people's disgrace from the whole earth. For the Lord has spoken. On that day, it will be said, look, this is our God. And we've what? We've waited for him. And he saved us. This is the Lord and we have waited for him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Reminds me of the old chorus, right? This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. For the Lord's power will rest on this mountain. And the book of Revelation points towards this prophecy fulfillment. Revelation 21, beginning in verse 4. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne says, I'm making all things new. What's he making new? Everything, all things new. And he said, write this down. These words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is what? Done. He didn't say, it'll be done. No, he said, it is finished, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end to the thirsty. Hey, this defines you. You're going to see a list here in a moment. You might look at this list of those who are going to be cast into the lake of fire. And you're like, well, hey, I do this. I do that. You may look at it and say, I'm not a sorcerer. But then it gets to liars. All of you are liars. And you might say, okay, well, that's what I'm going to do. No, what does it say to the thirsty? You are no longer defined by what you do or what you've done. You're defined by the faith that you've experienced through grace, right? Yeah. Not of yourself. He'll wipe away all those tears. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be with the lake and the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Praise God that in Jesus we don't suffer eternal punishment away from him. In Jesus, we've been offered a way. The way. The truth, the life. And I'm looking forward to next week. I I want you to come back. We're going to start the book of Revelation. Our sermon series is entitled, Headline, The War It's Over. Uh, It's finished. It's done. That's what the book of Revelation is all about. It's to encourage the church that, that God is who he said he was. And even in the persecution, he is there. And he's accomplished it, right? Right. And one day everything will be made new. It is finished. It is done. That's our cry this Easter. And I want to invite you to find life in Jesus Christ. And I want to invite you to join his family. So as our, as our band comes up here and plays, we're gonna sing a song of response and the refrain begins this way. It says, it is finished, it is done. We are gonna sing out the truth that we proclaimed here today. Romans 10, 13 says this, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's nothing that you can do that can save yourself. All you do is call out on his name. Second Corinthians 517 closes this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. And the new has come. I want to invite you today to experience something new in your life. I want to invite you today to experience the grace of Jesus Christ. You are never too far away from his love. He loves you. He took up a cross and died for you. Little would we do, for. It is done. He's overcome everything for you and for me. The war is over. We have a reason to celebrate. Happy Easter, everybody. Let's stand. Let's sing. If you'd like to pray with somebody, if you'd like to talk about following Jesus, if you'd like to talk about joining this church, if you need healing, if you need hope, if you need prayer for someone else, Mike is going to be on one side. Julie will be over there. I'm going to be over here. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to encourage you. Find Andre in the back. Let's respond. Let's follow Jesus. Let's sing.